I've learned a lot this week. I've learned a lot this week. This church, where we are right now, began in 1923. 97 years ago, right? 1923, as a Methodist presence that held its first gathering on the beach. So, Burley Beach, down there, and gave up shortly after because they were drowned out by the surf. Surf was too noisy. No one could hear anything that was going on. They looked around like, what's going on? So, they then moved to a house that sits on the highway opposite the school, so just down here, a highway, and then fluctuated between meeting there and meeting on this site in a boarding house that used to be here, um, doing different gatherings and Bible studies and, and church services. On the first official service on this spot, 30 people turned up and it was conducted by a minister at the time who came out of Southport. The services then moved from here down to Connor Street. So Connor Street's at the end of James Street. There was an open air theatre. Does anyone recognise? Where was that? Is it near the Anzac Park or Bowls Club or a bit further up the hill? Fascinating, right? I have no idea. But that's where they met, the open air theatre, where Mr. Porter um, would preach. And their service was, I should get you to, yeah, just whisper to the person next to you, you might already know this, what time was the first services held? What do you think? Just have a chat with them, I'll tell you what the answer is in just a moment. What do you think? First service, and they did it for a long time this way. It was on a Sunday. And it was, you're ready for this, I want to show of hands who got it correct. The answer was 3pm. That's a strange time for a church service, right? Who does church at 3pm? Village don't even do church at 3pm. Um, but back then, they obviously, for whatever sake of the contextualisation of the community, went 3pm is the time to do it. What's most impressive is they did it rain, hail or shine. Now, on the Gold Coast, given that's literally one Sunday a year, but when it rained, when they were meeting together, instead of running away or seeking cover, they all pulled out their umbrellas and stayed the course as Mr Porter stood on a kerosene box and continued to preach. I'm not sure what happened with music and how that all worked out, but that was the picture that was right at the very beginning of our life. As a church, it's amazing, right? Mr Porter travelled from Southport each week after presiding and preaching um, there. He travelled here um, and did so on a regular basis that after a couple of months, months, they created a newsletter called The Messenger. Now, we have Burley Breakers, but theirs was called The Messenger. Soon after their version of the Friendship Group, who's Friendship Group, is that, did I get the name right? Put up your hands if you go to the friendship group. I think Wednesday mornings, isn't it? Look at that. If you're looking for more friends, you should go. Alright, so their version of the friendship group started right back in the nucleus of this church called Band of Hope. Then interestingly, at a quarter meeting at Southport, they discussed their mission to Burley. And after it was talked about in a, in a meeting that followed worship, this following quote was given. Listen to these words. This is nearly a hundred years ago about us today. The question of our work in Burley was thoroughly discussed and it was decided, and I love this phrase, to bend all of our energies towards promoting the work of the gospel in the rapidly growing centre. We want to bend all of our energies 
toward what God was going to do in Burley. And thank goodness they did, right? Otherwise we would not be here this morning. In 1925, so two years later, there were four worshipping denominations in town. Uh, Methodists was one. I believe the Presbyterian was the other, which I also believe was where the Christian Science Church thing house room is now. Is that right? Literally a stone. Sorry, have we got any um, Prezies? Like, that's your heritage, your roots? Oh, you don't have to be shy. You can be like, yeah, be proud. Be proud, okay. There was the Anglicans, which were on Park Street, and the Catholics that were on Park Street. So, all quite closely huddled together. Five years later, the tourists pouring into Burley was considered 10,000 people. So, it rapidly grew as a tourist destination. Now, it's kind of reversed. I mean, we're still a tourist destination, but there are 10,000 people, give or take, that call Burley, Burley Waters, Old Burley Town, um, West Burley, that call Burley home. 97 years after that unfolded, we are gathered here on that tradition, that history and that amazing story. We should be excited about it. It's great. We host four congregations. There's this, there's village, there's our Brazilian friends we're in continued conversation with, there's a Seventh-day Adventist. We host four congregations. There's two playgroups that take place. I would love to encourage involvement and and crossover, especially our Friday playgroup, but we can talk about that later. There are numerous self-help groups that call this place home that come to be helped. And then there's opportunities for people to be facilitated in coming together, from Art Attack to the Friendship Club to Bible Studies and probably a whole host of other things that you're waiting for me to mention but I don't know about yet. So you can just fill me in as we go forward. You should all feel encouraged. This is a wonderful thing. I wish we had stats on the amount of people that have come to faith over the last hundred years. The numbers would be staggering. What a legacy we are part of. What what an amazing heritage we've been part of accomplishing. So well done. It's easy, you see, to feel down, to feel defeated. Like, ah, we're just not getting the young people. I've heard that a number of times. It's just not enough kids. I feel that pain. There's, There's not enough people coming into church these days. But it's also really important for us to pause and reflect and celebrate. Look what God has done. God is faithful. God's going to keep doing this. Now, having told you that story, let me tell you a similar story which unfolded without any knowledge of that first story. When Village Church first began, we met on the beach. But not for long because the surf drowned us out, right? That's bizarre. So then, we moved to a house that Lyndall and I had. So we moved to our house and we met between there and a cafe. So we kind of had this, this split thing depending on what we wanted to do. We're meeting in our home, meeting in a, in a cafe. And then we started weekly gatherings. We did one in our home, Lyndall and mine's our home, and one downstairs, actually it was upstairs at the time, here. We called them gatherings. It's the same thing as a service except we felt like the word gathering connected with the people that we were trying to reach. And our first gathering, how many people? 
30. Ha! 30 people. Crazy, I'm not making this up, I promise. And 20 kids. Uh, little children, you can't call them people yet. They're just, oh, no, I love kids. Kidding, kidding. <laughs> that was three years ago, not 97 years ago. That was three years ago, this village's story. So my takeaway is this. Burley Hedge Uniting Church beat Village Church to the punch by like a hundred years. You guys are well ahead of us. Well ahead. Vision is in your bones. Mission is part of your DNA. It's who you are. It's who we are. Village decided when it began to bend all its energies to the work of the gospel in Burley. We didn't have such cool language as was used, but that's what we want to do. We want to do the same thing as Burley Hedge Uniting. And so that's what we're all on about, loving God, seriously, deeply, passionately loving God, loving each other accepting and forgiving and welcoming and caring and being a place where others can come in and be swept into what God is doing here and then loving Burley. Loving God, loving people, loving Burley. You see how familiar those stories are? We are so close. There's the tendency to think, ah, these two entities are miles away from each other, but they are so close, which is why I'm really excited about this year. Why I think it's actually going to work. I think it's going to work. The difference, however, is that Burley Hedge Uniting didn't have the luxury of a building. You had to borrow and borrow buildings. You worshipped outside in the rain. Village, way too soft to worship outside in the rain. You didn't have a more mature congregation that meets in the same space cheering you on and resourcing you and encouraging you. Village has a lot to thank you guys for. We really do. And on behalf of them, and I'm sure you'll hear it in a variety of ways, but thank you. Thank you for the last three years and how it's been. This development in our joint life is about how we do village and burly uniting, how we do those things in the same vein that we were originally called to do by God, to bend our energies to the work of the gospel in Burley. This is what this challenge is about. What does that look like? I love that phrase, bend all our energies. I experienced that quite severely with the birth of our daughter, Zari. She's now six. Um, some of you may have met her last week. Um, she, when she was born, the weirdest thing happened. So you're in the birthing suite, the birth happens. It's amazing and incredible. And then you bring the baby back into the room and you kind of get yourself set up and there's a midwife there who is incredible. And the midwife tells you everything you need to do. Because with our first, we had no idea. But then, then, she has the audacity to leave. She just left. Like this baby was our baby and our responsibility. She just left. And I'm, she goes, are you okay? I'm like, no. I have no idea what we're doing. Like, absolutely no idea. She says, nah, you'll figure it out. This is a human being we have. We don't know what to do. And she, she, she wanders off. <laughs> Nerve off her, right? And what we found in the preceding moments and hours and days and weeks and months and years is our energies were bent toward t- 
tending this little life and nurturing this little life and discipling this little life and caring for this little life, keeping up with this little life. That's what happens when God births new things. There, there, is, there is something about what we are doing this year that God is birthing into something new. It was conceived a while ago in a whole host of wonderful ways. But God intends to bend our energies to what he has in store. Now, listen carefully. Bend our energies, not exhaust our energies or empty our energies or stress us out completely or put us in a place where we go, I hate everything. To bend our energies to what he wants to see done in Burley. And that means we seek him. God, what is it that you're calling us to? What does this look like? How does it work? How do I fit? How am I part of it? Because in a lot of ways, this, this new start, in the birthing of something new, can be like Lyndall and I. Hang on, this isn't ours. Well, actually, it is very much ours, this little baby. Just like this is very much ours. And I mean ours, I mean village, I mean you guys, I mean me. It's, it's ours, it belongs to us. To love and serve and encourage and nurture and constantly give back to God. That's this beautiful challenge that's before us. It feels more like an opportunity, really, than a, than a challenge. When I was here two weeks ago, I preached about Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be bold and courageous. And that story that Sandra read today, it continues that story on. It's where the story moves to and evolves to. It's from the book of Joshua, and Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It was a long time before Jesus came, so maybe you're not biblically familiar, and, and perhaps you all are, but we need to make this place comfortable for people that don't understand, right? So at times I'll be very basic and you'll be like, oh really? But there'll be people that are like, oh this is really helpful. So, um, sixth book of the Bible called Joshua, long time before Jesus comes, but the Old Testament is the roots of our Christian faith. It's where so many of the things we understand about Christianity originate from. And, and in, in, this, um, in this story, Joshua's energies are bent toward the promised land. God bends Joshua's energies towards the promised land. You see, it was the time for them to cross the Jordan River. They'd been in the desert, they'd been in slavery, they'd been homeless for hundreds of years. Now before them was the land God had promised them which was why it was called the promised land. God had promised them this land. And as Joshua stood observing the scene, put yourself in Joshua's, Joshua's shoes, right? The promised land is finally before them again, and we'll get to that in a moment. The Jordan River is in flood. Now, we're Queenslanders. What do we know about when, when we hear a road is flooded? What should we do? Forget it. Good. Yes. Well done. Don't go near it, right? Don't. don't. The car's not going to make it across, even though you think it will, right? That's what we keep getting told. It's common sense. So Joshua, forget it, right? The, the Jordan's in flood. It's not just the Jordan River, which was significant in itself, but now it's in flood. Forget it. It's too hard. It's too tricky. It's too uncomfortable. It's too intimidating. It's, there's so much about it that causes doubts and fears. But the constant in all these inconsistencies is what God says. And God says this, 
in verse 3 of chapter 1, I will give you every place where you set your foot. It's my promise to you. I will give you every place you set your foot. And Josh goes, I can't set my feet anywhere because of the flood. Look at the water. Joshua reminds, reminds us that God stands with us when we face the flood. We mentioned a few of those flood stories just before. These situations that just seem insurmountable. And because of that, it's more important what God says to us than anyone else. It's more important than what God says to us than what any of our circumstances say. It's more important what God says to us than what our doubts and fears say. Imagine the doubts in their minds. They're looking to this promised land. It's all the way on the other side of a massively flooded river. The last time they were there, it wasn't flooded. It was 40 years before. Moses sent 12 spies into the land to say, can we take it? What's it like? Those 12 spies came back and 10 of them said, no, we cannot afford to go there. We will be squashed by the giants in that land. Yeah, look, it's, it's pretty nice, but there's no way we can take it. And, and, and the response of those spies that were sent out and coming back, they enabled doubt and fear to flourish in the lives of all the people. Yeah, you're right. Moses, what sort of leader are you leading us into this? There's no way we can take it. You see, God has been saying, not just then, and not just to Joshua in this moment that we're talking about today, but previously, this land is yours. I promised it to you. It's yours. It's yours for the taking. But they didn't listen to what God said. They listened to their doubts. And when they did that, with these 12 spies, and the 10 spies said, no, and they go, we can't do it. When they listened to their doubts, God withdrew the opportunity from them until their faith was ready. This is, this is big. God withdraws opportunities from us when our faith's not ready. He gives us big challenges and says, step into them. And when we go, no, 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 no. He says, well, I'm withdrawing that opportunity until your faith is ready. Which is why it's more important what God says to us than anything else. And therefore, it's more important that we listen to God more than we listen to anything else. So the Israelites, they're so close again. They can see it. They can see the land, the rivers in flood. Their past concerns start to surface. Ah, hang on. Not much has changed about that land in 40 years. Those things are still there. And God speaks again. And he says, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Has anyone used the word consecrate in the last week, just in any sort of conversation? The only reason I have is just by telling people what I'm preaching on. I, I don't, I, I, it's not a phrase I use much. I dare say it's not a phrase we use much. Share with the person next to you what you think, and you're not going to get marked on this, what you think consecrate means. What does consecrate mean in the biblical sense of, of where they were? Just, just have a chat to the person next to you, have a think. What does consecrate mean? (coughs) 
Alright. If we had a day, we'd just go, what did you get? And go back and forward and see how we go, but we don't. So, this is my most concise definition. You can see where you landed. doesn't mean it's right, but it is concise. Okay. <coughs> to consecrate yourself was to be set aside for holy purposes. That's the gist of consecration. You're set aside for a purpose, for a reason. In the scriptures, that is a holy reason. It is a God challenge that you're set aside. It was this ritual that ensured that basically God had your full attention. It was a spiritual ceremony whereby you committed yourself to God again. And the importance of a consecration was that it drew everyone's attention that was probably on a bunch of stuff including their fears and their uncertainties and their history and all the things raging in them. It drew them away from their worry and all of that and established their attention on God. That's what consecration is. It lifts us out of where we are and it establishes our concentration and attention on God. So let me pause. It is completely normal, completely normal to have fear and doubt and worry about what you're facing, about what this year might look like, about what our future looks like. It's completely normal. It is completely normal for you to want to wish it were easier than it has been or that it will be. That is completely normal. If you've been like feeling guilty about that, don't feel guilty about that. That is completely normal. It is completely normal to look at all the things that could possibly go wrong. There's not many. But look at all the things that have gone on or have gone wrong and say, I'm out. I'm not ready. I can't do it. But those voices have no authority unless we give them the power. Unless you say, I'm going to believe those things. They're just whispers that can vanish in an instant. But all those doubts and fears that we might have about the church, but we also might have about family, about our health situations, about the places we're in the midst of, about financial worries and all of that, God speaks to. God speaks into And he calls our attention, he consecrates us, he calls our attention away from those things and to what he wants to think about. So for the Israelites it was the promised land and for you and I it's Burley. He calls us to Burley. He calls us to this town to love the people, to love our neighbours and our family and our friends in extraordinarily generous ways that cause them to go, that's what God's like. To be an oasis that in the midst of people's struggle that they can come here and meet us and be with us and go, this is a safe place. And I am restored here and I am loved and valued here. He calls us to be a community of people for those who are hurting and lost and last and least and lonely. It's all L's, so it's easy to remember. He calls us to be a beacon of hope for them. Church on a hill. Church on a hill. And it's only God's voice that has the authority to summon that forward from us. It's God's voice we must listen to. And if already you're like, oh, I'm not sure you like my preaching, it doesn't matter. Listen to God's voice. Just do what God asks you to do. That's what we all need to be about. That's the whole game right there. So how did the, how did the Israelites surrender to God's voice? How did they get away from their doubts and fears and go, all right, 
God, we're on board with this impossible task of venturing into the promised land. How did they do that? Well, they were consecrated. They were consecrated. Now, we don't have a consecration ceremony. We don't need one. We have communion. That's what communion is. Communion does the same things as a consecration. It enables Jesus to capture our attention again. It reminds us that we are judged by God's amazing grace and not by ourselves and not by others and not by God's law. It re-establishes in us this freedom that we were saved into. It's a taste of it, a literal taste of it. It enables us to tune into his voice again, that we might hear his words to us. And it sets our sights, our attention on what God is doing and what God can do, not on what we can't do. So God, so God rallies the people, the Israelites, and he consecrates them, and he sets their hearts to the task ahead. They're on the banks of the River Jordan, the Jordan is in flood, people have been murmuring about how it was last time we were here, and it's going to be a disaster. And Joshua is an untested leader following in the footsteps of the Old Testament's all-time MVP, most valuable player award leading. You don't get a better leader than, than Moses. And Joshua's like, oh great, I've got to follow after that. Are you kidding? There is every reason why this arrangement should be a total disaster. Not this reason, not this place, but for the Israelites. Every reason should be a complete disaster, except for one thing. Behind the scenes, behind what they saw and could analyse, God was orchestrating people's hearts and lives. Quietly encouraging those who are filled with doubt and fear to be strong and courageous. He was empowering Joshua to lead. Like the best leader they'd ever had. Better than Moses. That is the Spirit of God at work. The Spirit of God has been at work in the people of God back then in our church today. Because God is good. God is good. And kind. And generous. And forgiving. And he believes in us. And he cares for us. And he is greater than any challenge we might face. Your heart should sing at that. There should be this response in your soul of, ah, We're carried by a good God who is greater than anything that can come against us. That's why they call the gospel the good news. It's good news, right? But here's where it gets crazy. The Israelites, you read the story, we we read the story like, oh yeah, I know how it goes. The Israelites believed God. They had not believed God in a long time. Like 80 years. But they believed God. The Israelites to believe, decide to believe God over everything else. Those doubts and fears were still there, but they said, what we're putting our trust in, what we're going to put our belief in is what God says. They take him at his word. They let his voice be known. They decide to trust him. And then they take a first step into the flooded Jordan River. What? You should forget it, right? If it's flooded, forget it. They take a step in. Verse 14 says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all through harvest. Yet, 
as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. That's incredible. So all the people crossed the river opposite and went to Jericho. You know, historians say that the flow of the River Jordan has only ceased once. It was because of a rock slide, a massive rock slide that covered the river um, near a place called Adam and and created a, a makeshift dam so the water couldn't come through. Historians pin the date to the same time as the historical record. It's amazing. The flood, the doubt, the fear... The river, the inexperience, it's no match for God. It's not even a fair fight. And you know what? It sometimes feels like as I look out in Burley, as I meet people, as I I try to love people, connect with people that don't know Jesus, I feel like we're facing a flooded land where no one knows or loves Jesus. And it grieves me and if I let it, it can overcome me. But it's God who saves people. It's God who saves Burley. And he says, I just want you to be obedient and trust me and we'll see this thing take place together. So we don't need to walk forward going, wow, success looks like this. We need to walk forward going, I just need to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit says. We just need to tune in to the voice of God. Because God says he'll do it. Every place where you set your foot, I will give you. And when God says that, Right now those arguments that can be in this and the rebuttals and the reasons why, they they all start to, to, to lift. And God beckons us, he says, listen to my voice. It's hard to hear amidst all that, but just wait and stop and listen. Because my voice is a voice of hope and of strength and a way through. God calls us on, and you know what? It was a tiny whisper to a few people, to 30 people a hundred years ago, that they were courageous enough to say, yes, let's try this. And it was a tiny whisper. I remember on the plane flying from Sydney to the Gold Coast about five years ago, four and a half years ago, where God whispered about village. And then there were some people that were obedient enough to God to follow. And now, there were some people here who heard this whisper from God I mean, last two weeks ago, we, we, there was this whisper from God that people said, yep, we don't understand it all, there's fears and there's all these other reasons, but God, we feel you're leading us into something and we just want to be obedient. We just want to be obedient. God is in the whispering business. We just need to tune in. Now, we've got time for one more story. Do you guys like stories? Love story. This is one of my favourite stories. It's not about me. It's about a young boy who one afternoon, he sat down at the kitchen table um, and his dad came in, they're on a farm and his dad was dejected and they're talking around the, the, the kitchen table over dinner and, and the dad confesses. He says, I've lost my watch. My watch that was a family heirloom, it's gone and it must have been caught up as we were baling the hay. So I don't, it's, it's like a needle, literally a needle in a haystack, a watch in a haystack. We're never, we're never finding that. There's a little boy there, his son, that just said, I've got an idea. No, what is it? He says, no, I just need no one to leave this kitchen table until I return. They're like, that's quite a strange request. But they agreed. 
And with that, a little boy jumped off his chair, bolted across the, the room, out the door, across the park, across the, um, the courtyard that was there, and into the hay barn, and he climbed right on the very top of the hay bales, and he laid down, and he listened. And as he listened, he could hear the birds and the crickets and all that sort of stuff, and the trucks and the highway and stuff. And, and gradually, as he listened, that stuff sort of parted away. And he listened some more and this silence began to come. And then he listened some more and he heard the faintest, the faintest tick-tock, tick-tock, so faint. And so he moved and he moved from where he was and he, he went and he, he, he listened to the sound and got closer. It was a bit louder but still so faint. And then he moved a bit closer and a bit closer until he felt like that sound was blaring in his ears but to anybody else they wouldn't have heard anything. This tick-tock, tick-tock. And then he reached down and he felt the watch and he pulled it out and he rushed back to his dad to say, look what I've found. It's only when we quieten ourselves, when we allow God to whisper and we say, God, I want to listen, that we get to hear God And our world is full of too much noise. It becomes very difficult to hear God. But the only way we wander forward, the only way we take the promised land, the only way that we step foot in the flood and find that God's got it all in control is when we hear the voice of God and we obey. And that starts with listening. So I just want to take just a moment or two now for us to sit in the silence of here and just listen for what God might want to say to you. And some of you might be, might be saying, God has never spoken to me. I don't, I don't even believe that's how God engages. And that's completely fine. But what I want to put before you is, is maybe in the next few moments, somebody springs to mind. Or a story. Or a Bible verse. Or words that were spoken to you. Or a brand new idea. Or a single word, something comes to mind. And let's just... Let's just pretend that that might be God speaking. And if that's God, instead of going, I'm getting distracted again, maybe, okay, God, what more do you want to say about this? And see if the Spirit of God might begin to, to speak more clearly to us, so we might hear the Spirit of God more clearly. And then we're going to sing a hymn, we're going to share communion together. Let's pray. God, our world is full of so much noise. And it all competes against your gentle, beautiful whisper. Yet you are in the whispering business. And so speak to us. Speak to us about where we're at right now. About that issue that's too hard or too painful. About that hurt that won't budge. About the grief that might sit in us so deep about the worry or anxiety we have, about that which we just want to run away from, God. We just give you permission that you might speak to us.
Oh, may your spirit come to rest on us more heavily and more often. Tune our ears to your voice. We want to listen to you more than anything else. And Lord, continue the conversations you began with us that you might fulfil them in due time. You're a good God and we're so thankful. And everybody agreed and said, Amen.